You're listening to The Only Constant, a podcast about active hope. In today's conversation, we spoke with Lisa McKay-Ring. Lisa is a professor and doctoral candidate in the religion department at FSU. She teaches classes about religious conflict and fosters discussions that challenge her students' conventional views about religion as a whole. My husband and I, for most things, have a rule. It's a three-day rule. When something happens to us, we can complain and talk about it for three days. And then we have to move on. We have to let it go. We have to shake it off. Mm. Right? It's important that we acknowledge those disappointments. You don't bury them because then they just fester. But this hurt. But again, it doesn't define me. It will make me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be proactive. So what? Now what? What do I do? Aside from her work in academia, Lisa is deeply passionate about the themes of resiliency, proactivity, and self-reliance. Her personal experiences with grief and stress have shaped her views on the importance of bouncing back and taking control of one's path forward. Hopefully, you find some hope today. Hello, and thank you for listening today. Thank you, Lisa, for coming on. And I really appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to send us a list of passions and all that fun stuff. And I originally met you because you were my teacher for Introduction to World Religions during COVID. That's right. And currently you are? So I'm several things, actually. Um, I am the undergraduate program specialist for the math department. I am an adjunct instructor in the religion department. I currently teach religious intolerance in the United States and America. And I am a PhD candidate, so I'm currently working on my prospectus and dissertation. Oh my gosh, you're not stressed at all, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> um, and we I have ta- lots of free time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hence the podcast, that's why you're yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we talked in the student union uh, at FSU before like getting this all working and scheduled, um, you did tell me that you've been in school for a long time. I have been in school since 1984. Like consecutively? I've taken like two small breaks. And those breaks were how long? Like a year and a half, a year, and maybe two years. So there were three breaks? Yeah. So, yeah, this is like my fourth degree that I'm in. I have two master's degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you go ahead and list all the degrees that (laughs) you have real quick? Oh, sure. You got to know how qualified and certified you are. Yeah. 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 So um, I have a Bachelor of Arts in History and French from the University of Michigan, Flint, that I got in the 20th century. I know. I know. I have a Master's (laughs) of Library and Information Science that I got from USF in 2004. I have a Master of Divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary that I got in 2017, and now I'm ABD at FSU in um, American Religious History. Hmm. Okay. Um, And the first, first of all, thank you. Second of all, the first passion that you sent us was resilience. Why are you passionate about resilience? Um, Because I just think that it's so important that people are able to recover because life is really hard and it will will beat you down if you let it. And so you can't let it. You have to figure out how to overcome all of these things that were there, right? Mm -hmm. Like I am where I am today in this incredible, amazing life that I have, not because everything's gone my way, but because I, I mean, life has beat the living shit out of me. And I, <laughs> it has. I have been knocked down a thousand times. But that doesn't define who I am. It's helped make who I am. But it doesn't define me. Mm. What defines me is that I have gotten up a thousand and one times. Mm. And as long as I do that, I'm going to be okay. Because you can't control the world. 
you well, can't control yeah. circumstances. You can't make everything go okay. Yeah. But you can be okay regardless of what's going on around you if you have resiliency. So if it's okay, are you able to talk about a time where you had some resiliency? Oh, sure. Um, like, I guess most recently was this, this past year. So um, I am ABD in the religion department, but a year ago I thought I was going to drop out. Real quick, what's ABD? Um, all but dissertation. Okay, uh, right? gotcha. So this is when people are like, you only have to write your dissertation as if only as this small little thing. <laughs> but there, Tallahassee and all of the United States is full of people who are ABD who never finish their dissertation. Oh this is actually something you can put on your resume because it shows that you made it halfway through a PhD program. So you've passed all your coursework and your competency exams. So there are people that currently have been teaching at Florida State for decades who are ABD and not a doctorate. So it's hmm. like a legit status. That Did not know that was a thing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so I am ABD. Okay. So yeah. So like last year, um, my aunt died and it was like the worst thing that has ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. And it just really knocked me out. And I didn't know that I was going to be okay. Um, she helped raise me. Um, she was the other than my husband is the person that I'm closest to. And there were some other things that were going on at that time, and it just kind of all hit me. And once it hit me during my comprehensive exams, she died literally in the middle of my exams, mm. and I had to shut down. And I had to just focus on writing my tests. I mean, we knew she was going to die, like, for a couple of months before that. So it's not like it was a complete surprise. And she died three days before her 96th birthday. So also... She lived wow, a long, long life. She did live a very long life. She was a really tough, fierce, independent, stubborn Scott woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she lived alone independently her entire life. At 96 years of age, she lived in an apartment. She did not live in assisted living. She wow. cooked all her own meals. She did... You know, her so she really was strong. She was. Like she, legitimately. She was. Wow. Yeah. She happened to just be reading and she fell asleep and she fell and nobody found her for two hmm. days. Oh. And at that point, my dad had to go in and deal with the fact that like she couldn't live independently anymore. And she kind of just lost the will to live. So we knew. We knew that it was going to mm. go down. Oh, I see. So she Gave was up. stuck. Yeah. For like a couple days. Yeah, she was on the floor for a couple of days, just laying there waiting for someone to find her. Oh, because she wow. could not push herself back up. Mm -hmm. She didn't have the strength to do that. Wow. So once she knew that she was headed for a nursing home, she just gave up, which, I mean, I understand. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. So we knew that that was going to happen. I was able to go up. I was able to help put her in hospice. We were able to fight and make sure that she got a good death, which is another passion that I could have spent the whole podcast talking about of, like, making sure that we die well and end our stories well. Wow. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so we were able to go. I was able to do these beautiful things where we had this time together. I was able to talk about the things that are important where you, you tell someone that you love them and, you know, you make sure, like, all of these beautiful things. And I just was like, then I had to come home because I had to write my test. Like, I knew that I could have contacted my professors and said, like, you know, this is going on and we could have pushed it off. But I also knew that if I didn't do my exams when they were scheduled, that I would never do them. So I did. I came home and I did them, and she did. She died in the middle of them. So what we do in our department is we get 12 questions on a Friday 
in the morning and we have until Friday of the next morning to write as much as we can. I wrote 120 pages that week. It was absolutely insane. You wrote 120 pages 100... in seven days? Yes. I had nothing left to say. I wrote every thought I've ever had in my entire life wow. into those comprehensive mm. exams. Wow. Your professors get them at Friday at the same time. It's like either 7 or 9 a.m. And then on Monday, you have to go in and orally defend them. And she she died that weekend. And, oh. like, and then I missed the funeral and all of that. So, like, I also had to, like, block my grief to, like, get through all of this. Mm. So, less, and then after all of that was over, we went to Europe for a month because that was already pre-scheduled. Mm. And when I came back to Tallahassee, I laid on the floor and cried for three months and just listened to Van Morrison. And I didn't know if I was going to come back in the fall. Like, I'd lost my desire to be in this program. Like, I didn't care anymore that I was so far along in the program. Mm, yeah. And um, uh, my the chair of my committee emailed me a couple of days before we our contract starts, which is early August, and was like, oh, you're... I've got it worked out for you to be a teaching assistant for me and in the fall. So like, yay, like to teach religious intolerance in the United States. And I was like, okay, yeah, I need to like figure out how I'm going to tell him that I'm quitting this program and I just couldn't do it. And before I could write that email, I realized that I was also really afraid that if I never left the house again, I would never leave the house again. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I just was like, thanks for letting me know my assignment. I can meet with you next week. Like I never said any of those like things that I hate where I'm like, oh, thank you. Or like things that I don't mean in an email. Like I, do, I can't do those things in an email. I'm mm. like, oh, thank you or anything like that. I was just like, you know, okay, thanks for letting me know. Mm-hmm. I'll meet with you next week. I didn't even say I was looking forward to meeting you next week. <laughs> I will meet you next week. Yeah. And I mean, those first couple of weeks of the semester were so rough and all I was doing was taking tendons. I was literally leaving the house two days a week and taking attendance. And I was going home like completely exhausted, just Mm. completely worn out from that. I did not even know what to do beyond that. And then the professor that I was TAing for caught COVID. And so he, he, I was already on campus and he emailed me. He's like, I don't feel well. Maybe I'm going to cancel class. And then 20 minutes later, he's like, I just took a COVID test because my wife made me. And so I have to cancel class because I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID positive. And I was like, well, class starts in an hour and I'm already on campus. Like, let me go do it. Right. Like, I'm going to prove that I can, like, you know, like pull it together for like an hour and and do this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like why cancel class? I can do this. So I did. I I took in the writing of um, religion in five minutes, which is why it's impossible to separate religion and politics. And so the students got five minutes and they read it. And of course, they took over the whole like it was very successful because they all had a lot of opinions about well you're supposed to separate yes you're supposed to separate religion and politics but the whole point in the article is is that you can't separate religion and politics that's why it's so contentious Hmm. the world that we live in today is because you actually can't do this thing that we think is a best practice it is impossible Mm. so that kind of got me going a little bit better as far as being resilient And then Mm -hmm. kind of like that big aha moment for me was 
I mean, I'm sure you guys have these friends that are a real mess and they're better friends than they know because they're kind of a mess. They just say things that they don't know that they're doing. Like they're helpful without realizing that they're helpful. <laughs> um, so I, I have a few of those in my life. And we were talking. So I hadn't told anybody about my aunt. Nobody knew what I was going through. Like I wasn't ready to share it. I didn't want to talk about it or anything like that. So he and I were doing our laps around the campus. And I was like, oh, yeah, I almost quit the program. He's like, what do you mean you almost quit the program? And I was like, I just, I don't think I care anymore. And he's like, well, then why didn't you quit the program? And I was like, because that's not what she wanted. Hmm. And he goes, she who? Because again, like I hadn't told anybody, right? But like that question of like, like, why didn't you do it? That's not what she wanted was like this huge epiphany to me that I had spent like this four months of my life thinking that it was a betrayal to her that I was going to move on with my life, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at it like we had 44 years together. And like that was what was so hard for me is that what she was never going to know was the rest of my life. Everything I've ever done, she'll never know. And she was there for the first, all of the first 44 years of my life. Mm. And so just having that understanding of realizing that like it wasn't a betrayal of to her to move on with my life, that she wanted that. Even that time that we had together when I was in Michigan, before I came back, I was sitting with her in hospice and she was, you know, sleeping in and out and I was reading my books for my exams. And she would wake up and I'd ask if she was okay. And she didn't realize how much she was sleeping, right? How many hours I was sitting mm-hmm. there. So I would be like, oh, are you okay? Or I'd talk to her and she'd be like, you're supposed to be studying. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I am. I'm but she was very adamant that I was going to come home, that I was going to take those exams. And I just realized that like, the best way to honor her is to be resilient, is to finish this program, to do it for her because she – wants me to have a good life she doesn't want my life to stop in you know what was last year 2022 like she doesn't want that to be my end she wants me to have the rest of this amazing life without her so that is the very long answer to your question oh great that was amazing yeah (laughs) and i mean i don't want to go too far off on on a side quest (laughs) but (laughs) i i really i really think that like so first of all, yes, fantastic answer and just a great example of of resilience, but it's like the thing that made you resilient, it seems, is in a weird way, uh death. And like yes. we won't we won't we don't have to go too far into it, but I just every experience I've ever had or heard, not every experience, but most experiences I've heard from from people who've gone through the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And people who are dying, it's like this, this like huge acceptance of the present. Yes. You know? Yes. And it's like, that seemed to happen for you. I'm sure it was happening, you know, when you were with your aunt. Yes. When she was dying. But also like, it seems to have happened. That was like a revelation you came to. It's like, I got to just keep going. I have to keep living now. And it. And and I find that like when people are going through death too, there she was so present in that moment with you, even though she was about to die. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to, if this is okay. Yeah. You touched on it briefly, but we should die well. 
We should die well. We absolutely should die well. We want to... And this is part of the problem with the, like culture of the United States is that most of us have medical deaths. So one of the things that happened to me the fall before all of this, so whatever that year was, um, (laughs) Um, the world stopped in 2005. Um, I know that makes me such an old lady, but it's true. Um, So whatever the fall was before that, I was actually working on my um, bioethics certificate in the philosophy department at Florida State. So I had to write my capstone project. And what I actually wrote in that was how religion helps us to die well, like unknowing that I was going to live that paper in a few short months. And so, I mean, I'm always thankful for that because it prepared me for that. It also prepared my family for that because I was so determined that she was not going to have a medical death. Mm. And so... I, that's part of the reason why I was up in Michigan was to fight and make sure that she didn't, that she was in hospice, you know, because um, they still had major, even last year, like COVID restrictions because she was in a facility when I got there and I had to wear a mask and a shield and a gown and all of these things just to go in to see her. And they wouldn't let my nieces and nephews in because they weren't the right age. And it was like, no, we're, we're taking her home. We're, we're letting her die, yeah. you know. And we're going to get her in a place where she's not, she's ready to go. And all you're going to do is keep giving her antibiotics and medicine and, and try to keep her alive and for monetary reasons, right? Um, it's true, though. It yeah. is. And so, like, no, she's not going to have a medical death. You know, we're not keeping her in a place where you don't let her have grapefruit because it's not on the state-approved list of fruits that people are allowed to eat at this stage of their life. We're taking her home and feeding her whatever she asks for. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Oh, so when you say die well. Yes. Around the people you love and in the circumstances you wish to be in. Yeah, and and coming, yeah, so, but also accepting that your story is what your story is. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't get the life that you picked out when you were 20 years old and had your dream when you were just circling your, your choices and things turned and twisted and things didn't happen and they didn't go your way. But making your peace with that and just like looking back and she would not say this, but this is what I'm going to say someday is like, damn, that was one hell of a ride. You know, like I did it like I would do it again. Yeah, and that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Oh my god! I feel like that leads well into the next passion that you that you told us about, which is being proactive. Being proactive, and you know, us being in our twenties, um, already <laughs> twenty three on Saturday. Yeah, Woo-hoo! and I'm twenty four, and I mean, what you just said is like so true because even though I'm still young, even though I'm still going through life uh, in the beginning stages, I should say. I still feel way different now than I did when I was 20 Oh yeah, because I graduated and, and like I'm learning about the real world. So to kind of uh, tie it to being proactive, yeah, you know, I feel like <clears throat> maybe this has always been the case, but I, I think it seems like our generation is they dream big. We dream big, which yes. is a good thing, but sometimes it can maybe give you some unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And so when people get knocked down, maybe they get knocked down hard and feel really bad. So being proactive is kind of important. And so I would like to just maybe pass that to you. What do you think about that? Since you teach college 
kids. Oh, yes. yes. Try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they teach me more Attempt than I teach Attempt, not them. succeed. <laughs> well, I Kidding. teach some of them. I succeed with a few. <laughs> with um, me, I like to think. Okay. Thank you so um, much, yes, by the way. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, I... Actually, it's is not the students that you that like you that I love because you keep in talking in the first thirty seconds. It's the kids that <laughs> I know it's there and they don't know it's there, mm. and I pull it out all semester long. That must be so rewarding. It is because, like you know, first of all, there's are they talking in class, but they're also writing things. So I and the way that I run the class now, they have to write everything and do the assignments before we come to class. And then we have like our discussion day on Thursday, graded mandatory discussion day on Thursday. And some people still think they can pass this class online. Whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So like, I know who has a really good idea before we start class, who's not talking. And just getting to that point where we're like, no, actually, Caleb, we've heard enough from you. Like, what does Ted think? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first time you just see their little eyes of like, what, what, what? I, I didn't raise my hand, you know. And you're yeah. like, yeah, but I know you have a really good idea. We'll just we'll wait for you to like, you know, mm. share that mm-hmm. really good idea. Mm-hmm. And then the confidence that it builds like week on week, where they're like, well, first of all, they kind of know that once I break that of calling on you, I'm gonna keep calling on you. So you might as well decide what you want to contribute rather than what I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. So there, but just to see that, like there's always a few in the class that comes mm-hmm. along and they, you know, you, you pull that out of them mm-hmm. and they're just like, so it's, it is, it's very rewarding to see. AKA not me, the loud person no, in the front row. No, you, you talk right, like right away. <laughs> Caleb, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's just, it is like, like we, I don't have to worry about the ones like you. You're going to be okay, but there are diamonds in the rough that are there that if they don't get a little bit of attention, they're never going to know how amazing they are because they may have gotten knocked down mm-hmm. and mm. they don't realize that what life is, is getting back up after that yeah and you kind of like have to scaffold that and show them like oh Mm -hmm. yeah you can have this disappointment or whatever but you can do that Mm -hmm. you know you can like life is full of disappointments and rejections you you cry about it you go cuss and stomp around the cul-de-sac and then you sit back down and rewrite the paper (laughs) or you don't graduate (laughs) yeah you know sorry go Go ahead ahead. no you go do you think (laughs) this might be a little bit of a touchy question but do you think everyone's opinion matters do i think everyone's opinion matters (laughs) that's not loaded (gasps) at all (laughs) does everyone's opinion matter um it depends on what the context is um because like a lot of people have opinions about things they don't have any knowledge about and so it's not as valid of like you know asking you uh, the question of like something that you don't have you shouldn't you have mean. an opinion about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're in a class that you're learning, actively learning about, okay, yes. your opinion matters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and so I want to add on to what Ted was saying earlier, and it was, and I, I loved your segue from resilience to being proactive. Yeah. But specifically, I feel like that, that does segue well, because in order to be resilient, in a way, you can't be reactive to life. No. You have to be proactive with the choices that you make. You do. Um, I think one of the things that really crystallized this for me of being a passion was something that I listened to on the radio in the last decade. We'll just call it that. There was this principal up in the inner city um, who 
had a really high graduation rate and everybody was like, how do you do this? Because you have a student population base that should not be successful. Oh, like socioeconomically speaking? Yeah, okay. like like this. These, these kids should be victims. They should be statistics. And you're overcoming that. What are you doing to make this happen, to overcome this? And all of these kids have a sad, sad sob story, right? They, they come in and, you know, I didn't do my homework because I live in my car. Okay, well, most people are going to be like, okay, well, then you don't do your homework, right? Well, her, she would listen to them. And her response was always, so what? Now what? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So what? Now what? Yeah, it's important that we recognize that we have these barriers that are in our life that knock us down. Like, we need to acknowledge those things. Um, my husband and I, for most things, not like my aunt last year, which was an extreme situation, but for most disappointments in life, we have a rule. It's a three-day rule. When we're, something happens to us, we can complain and talk about it for three days. And then we have to move on. We have to let it go. We have to shake it off. Hmm. I always say we can walk through this neighborhood, but we're not buying real estate. We don't live here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's important that we acknowledge those disappointments. You don't bury them because then they just fester. But this hurt. But again, it doesn't define me. It will make me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be proactive. So what? Now what? What do I do? Because everyone in that school should be flunking they have a legitimate reason they i mean i can't imagine what it's like to be 15 years old and live in my car but there were students in there who were not just getting their homework done to graduate from high school but were going to college like they were succeeding enough to be able to move on and she never let those things that so much our compassion wants to excuse them for resign them to a future where they didn't have a future Mm -hmm. It's kind of a it's kind of a tricky line to ride it in is. a way because it is you know sometimes something that's coming from a good place mm -hmm. is at the same time not empowering somebody to do better. Oh, absolutely, and and you have to learn these things, and you have to you have to know the people, right? Right. You have to do that because even the first year in my in my program at Florida State, I just had a hard time adjusting. And I was like, I don't think I like this program. And I went and I talked to my professor and I was like, I don't think that I like it here. And he just looked at me and was like, oh, well, people drop out all the time. <laughs> and then I just like, that made me mad. I stomped out. I was like, oh, hell no, you are not getting rid of me like that fast. <laughs> like I am going to do this, right? And this is the same man who four years later knew that he had to be a little bit more careful because that I would drop, like, you know, he pushed mm. me at that time four years ago where I was just like dealing with the frustration of a new program and not understanding like how to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Like that made me dig deep and be like, oh, oh no, no. Like you are not getting rid of me that e I am not quitting. I will finish despite you. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but understanding that I was going through something very differently before and had to, you know, do that. And so you do, you have to understand of but you have to do this in the classroom, right? Some kid, if I called on them and told them to contribute, like would not come back to class again, right? Like you have to know when you can pull them out. And that's part of the benefit of having them write things before they come to class is I already know you have a good idea. Mm. It's not like you don't have anything at all. You're not going to be like, oh, well, actually, I didn't do the assignment or I don't care about this. No, you had an amazing idea that you're not 
saying because Caleb won't shut up. (laughs) 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 Well, (laughs) that's amazing and so true. Um, But I, it's interesting though, because everything you're saying not only applies to people our age and younger, Ted and I, but everybody. And I remember in our conversation at the student union, you said it's not a generational thing. It's the era that you live in, which I think was so interesting. It's a much different perspective than I'm used to hearing because it's always people are always like, man, people your age are always like this. Man, you guys are so lazy, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, but I feel like all of these things apply to anyone who was not given the empowerment or the drive or the challenge to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And also there's certain things that we don't have to do you know, if we grew up in the 1740s, you know, it's not like we had our phones to entertain us. So people were entertaining themselves by going outside more or, you know, hunting they were, they or reading. They weren't entertaining themselves at all. They were trying to survive. They were just, <laughs> that too. I mean, that's a big thing too. The moment, yeah. if there were any moments to entertain, they were short and probably few. Yeah. But we're getting close to the halfway point here. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask one more question before the half, which is, if if somebody who was young, or not even somebody who was young, since we just touched on everybody, if somebody came up to you and said, how do I, what does being proactive, you know, look like in a general, in a general sense? Um, taking the initiative of your own life. If you want something, it's your responsibility to get it, right? So the easiest example, because it's my whole life right now, because it's registration, is that we don't teach enough calc classes. There's just not enough seats, and we're not allowed to over-enroll it. And you have students out there who are like, I tried to enroll, it's full. And you're like, well, you have to keep checking. There's going to be a spot. Someone else is going to drop this class, and it's going to be there. And you have those students out there who set a reminder on their phone and are checking every five minutes and they get in that class. And the one that thinks, well, I tried and now it's my job as Mm. the advisor to do it for them and make their schedule happen for them, they're not going to be okay because it's not my job. I'm the advisor. I'm not like the person in charge of your life. You wouldn't want to live the life I was going to pick for you. Um, You know, you just wouldn't want that, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want that for, for you. I want you to figure it out. Yeah, And mm. I don't know what's going to make you happy, right? You think about these generic classes that we have to take of, like, you know, cultural practice. It's like, well, I don't know. Are you interested in history or music or theater? I don't know what you like. And like, they don't either, usually. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you know, I could make a schedule for you, but I don't know what you're interested in. Yeah. Do you want to take what I'm interested yeah. in or do you want to, you know, right. figure out what you want to do with your life? Right. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> yeah. So was that good? Is that good halfway? Yeah. yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, we'll be right back. Okay. We'd like to take a second to shout out our monthly patrons. Thank you to Aaron B., Christina S., Corbin G., Dan W., Mimi S., Kareem A., and Luciano B. for their continuous support of the podcast. Everything we do on this show wouldn't be possible without the generous support of listeners like you. Consider joining us on Patreon, where for just a dollar a month, you can support the podcast and help us even more in the conversation about Active Hope. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back, everybody. And we are going to start out this second half with relying on others for happiness, because you kind of segued beforehand and how 
you know, these this hypothetical student who basically just relied on you to do the work for them after they attempted once to do the thing, yes. right? And I feel like this applies to so many situations in life, just relying on another person to take the initiative for you. Yeah. But, Slash happiness. Yeah, but also, <laughs> also to, to make us happy, right? Like, so many people talk about this, like, in their relationships. Like, oh, I want to be with someone so that I can be happy. And, like, that just, that really grates on me because, like, another person can't do that for you, right? Like, I always say that happiness is a do-it-yourself project, um, right? Like, it's, someone else can't make you happy. And, again, it's, like, same mess of a friend, right? Like, just ask me once. I was really grouchy one day and was, like... Does anything make you happy? He finally just snapped. Like, does anything make you happy? Like, because I was just complaining about everything. And I was like, no. And he's like, well, what about your husband? Like, does he make you happy? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, that's the wrong question, right? My husband can't make me happy. My husband wants me to be happy. He does what he can do to put the right conditions in place for me to be happy. Mm -hmm. But he can't make me happy. That's a do-it-yourself project, right? Mm -hmm. He can't make me happy. Other people can't make you happy. They sure as hell can make you miserable, mm -hmm. but they can't make you happy. So that's the question that you, you know, if, if you really want to ask that question, hmm. is, does my husband make me miserable? <laughs> no. No, he doesn't. You know? But he, <laughs> Well, that's yeah. good. I'm happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so when it comes to relying on someone else for that happiness, clearly you disagree with it, right? Yeah. Um, but what what do you do in a situation where this could be another loaded question, but the person is perpetually sad, right? There's like there there it seems to be a uh, they're flatlining, right? Socially, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it seems like without the support of those around them, they might not be able to get to that place. This is just a hypothetical, but I'm curious what you think and if that is, even is a thing. Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the things that you're doing there is you're you're taking, like, happiness and conflating that with, like, mental well-being. So, again, like, we can't always be happy. We can be okay. okay. But, like, happiness okay. is, like, a, a state that, like, you shouldn't actually always be in because you're probably, like, not okay if you are. You're probably on something that's not, <laughs> that's not good for you, yeah. like, your, your body, right? Right? Like, yeah. just, like, so happiness is something that comes and goes, just like sadness is something that comes and goes. And I would be just as worried about someone that was stuck happy all the time as someone that was stuck sad all the time because you're not dealing with reality, right? Like, mm. someone's going to cut you off in the traffic or you're, you know, they're going to run out of, you know, the vegan cheese before you get your order or something. <laughs> like, something, you're going to have a bad day. Yeah, yeah. So there is that as well. But so I, I do think that what you're talking about there is someone who has, like, well-being, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, you want to support and encourage those people, but they're – they probably also need more help than you can actually give them. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, though. And and what? how do you be a support system for someone who refuses to be a support system for themselves, let's say? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the nature of that relationship, mm -hmm. right? Like someone that I've known for three months – 
might be someone that I need to just like cut off from my life like where like not my husband not my sister right like Mm -hmm. these are the people I need to have interventions with Mm -hmm. if they're not okay but so I, I do think that you need to know where you can speak into someone's life, right? Like, I'm I'm using you in the, these stories of the kid that won't shut up, but you're not actually the person I'm talking about. I'm just not legally allowed to mention <laughs> that person's name, um, right? So you, you have to be able to speak. And you, you asked for it. You asked me to come talk to you here. So yeah. you, you get picked on, right? I'm not just allowed to I do love that. It. So you, you have to be able to speak into someone's life. So there is that nature of the relationship. But I also think that there's that that codependence level where you you have to understand that you can't help everyone like you can't make someone okay you can encourage them mm. but you have to accept that not everyone is okay and not everyone wants to be okay like sometimes people get their identity from that victim standpoint or you know that's so true though <laughs> and then how did okay sorry another loaded question for you how do you balance that Okay, how do you balance, sorry, I'll rephrase it. How do you balance your own well-being if someone you are very close to, let's say they're disconnected to you in a way that you can't necessarily get away from, right? Yes. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Yes. So what if the state they choose to stay in is negatively affecting those around them? Do you see what I mean? And, and where is the line to which you intervene? Like as that person who's being negatively affected and speak into that person's life. Yeah. I Another think, loaded question. Sorry. No, I think that goes back to the the proactivity part of like, I know what you're doing right now and I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you want to not be okay and I want to be okay. So I'm going to learn how to set those boundaries where I might not be able to cut you off, but I don't have to react to what you're saying. I don't have to react to what you're doing. I, you know, you can call me whatever name that you want to call me or, you know, do whatever it is that bothers me. And I can choose to not be bothered by that because I know that you're just trying to bother me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. I agree. No, I, honestly, that was a great answer. Um, and I feel like this is, I, in my opinion, a good segue to humility versus self-importance because I feel like if you are someone who is setting those boundaries, for example... If you, I feel like that can also be, um, you said conflated, so I want to say conflated. Okay. Although I'm trying to use it in the right way, but I don't think I can. <laughs> but it's like, if you are, oh, I don't want to lose my train of thought, but if you're someone who is setting so many boundaries that it seems like you're just too self-important yes. for the people around you. you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying here? Versus, like, how do you balance humility versus self-importance? Might as well. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, if you're setting boundaries so that you're okay, mm-hmm. right, which is why you're supposed to set boundaries, yep. is to for you to be okay. Not that other people don't have the right to have demands on you, but that you also have an equal right to be okay for yourself. That you, you're not self-important because so much of that is you're trying to be a savior. You're trying to fix someone else. You're trying to be the reason that they are okay. And so then you take it back to happiness as a do-it-yourself project. They have to, they're in charge of their own happiness too, their own mental well-being as well. And so if you don't think, if you don't get your self-worth from being that savior person of like, oh, they're going to be better because I'm in their life, these things kind of all work out like together. It's kind of a dance that you go back and forth in all of these topics. That's true. 
I feel like uh, this whole <clears throat> conversation really comes down to communication and like relationships, as you were saying, because the person who is not doesn't have good mental well-being at the moment. Like you said, if you're super close to them, you can make that choice to, you know, talk to them and try to help them out. Ultimately, it's going to be their decision. But at the same time, it's ultimately going to be your decision if you want to keep helping them. Yes. And if it maybe it makes you happy to help them, maybe or not even happy, but maybe it makes you feel like you're doing something important. Satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you are someone who has a lot of degrees, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overeducated. How do you stay? But seriously, though, how do you stay humble in a circumstance where let's say you know based on your education that this person is wrong the other person thinks the same about you so you mean there's like a conflict of there is a conflict of just uh, like like, you both are adamantly basically agreeing to disagree disagree. Yeah. yeah um sometimes you have to leave it there because like why it depends on what that situation is because there are times where, you know, things have to get resolved, right? That those tensions are there. We deal with this a lot in my religious intolerance class in the United States of like, well, we should tolerate everything. And it's like, well, some things are actually in conflict with one another, right? So we can't let both things happen, both things be true. Mm-hmm. So there is that level. But as far as like staying humble in that, why why is it so important for you to be right in that situation or is it not really that important you know mm-hmm. um why are you not listening to the other person that that is something that we come back to in the classroom all the time cuz i try to make this a place where everyone legitimately can talk and bring their diverse perspectives, especially the political contentiousness that we have right now where everyone's allowed to speak and they, you can say whatever you want to me, but you're gonna be very nice and very respectful to your classmates, right? Like I can handle it, I'm the grown up in the room and I know that I'm right and you're wrong, ha ha ha. But th- I, I want you to learn, like to be able to talk to other people. And so if there's something that you're convinced that you're right about, and you see someone who has the opposite opinion of you, and they're convinced that they're right, what I challenge you to do in my classroom is say, how could a smart and intelligent person come to the opposite conclusion? Mm -hmm. Not a dumb person, not a jerk, not an evil person, but a smart and intelligent person come to the opposite conclusion that you have. Think the best about that person. Mm. That's mm-hmm. a really good tip. Because you're, I mean, if you don't, you're inadvertently and almost automatically invalidating their opinion. If yeah. you're, if you're just stating that it's coming from a place of stupidity. Yes. Right. Um, and I do, but I do like the point that you're making though, and that was one of the things that you taught me in Introduction to World Religions that. And Ted, I'm picking on Ted now, haha. <laughs> um, but Ted has said this many times. It's like religions across, they're almost like saying the same thing. Like they all do the same thing. You were the person who taught me the opposite. Yeah. Um, because religions are very different. And I'm not actually picking on you, Ted, I love you. Um, but 
it really is such a it's such it's such a large scale problem that it affects everybody in the world. Nobody is nobody exists in a vacuum when it comes to religious conflict. No, it doesn't. That's why I teach whole classes on it, right? Yeah. Like yours was the last time I taught introduction to world religions that wasn't a class specifically about religious conflict. Which in a weird way it was. It well, it started in your class. Like by the end I got there okay. and realized that that's where my passion was in world religions. Is I don't ever want to teach again, like these are the five things of Buddhism, these are the five things of Islam. Like those are you can you have the internet you in your up. pocket, you can look that up, mm -hmm. right? Like I want to explore like why is, you know, why are Buddhists killing Muslims in Myanmar right now if the first tenet of Buddhism is, you know, to, that like all of life is suffering? Oh, well, then these Muslims that you don't like are actually helping you to realize that all of the world is suffering, right? Like, you shouldn't be killing them. You should be happy that they're there creating this thing for you. Yeah. So, no, I came to that while I was teaching your class that this was about, you know, Religious conflict is everywhere. I still remember this because the student that was, you know, because you were here and there was a sticker on your seat and six seats down, there was another sticker because this was COVID. And <laughs> the other person who sat in the front row, because I remember saying, you know, like, where does religious intolerance exist? And then I put my slide up. That's the whole planet, right? Because <laughs> 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 I remember this student was like, oh, my gosh, like, so... If religious conflict exists on Earth, then it will disappear when we all move to Mars. And I was like, no, because Earth's not the problem. People are the problem. We're actually really <laughs> shitty to one another, right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what we do. Like, yeah. People are the problem. And there is no religious conflict on Mars because people aren't there. And as soon as people get there, there will be religious. We're going to take it with us. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think you're touching on such an important thing, though, because regardless of all the conflict that is taking place, you take your time to educate others on that conflict and to not be confrontational yeah. in those circumstances. Like, you are actively, you're being proactive in the sense that you are working against that, yeah. you know, because you see the problems that are being per perpetuated. Yeah. yeah. And part of it is, is that, you know, young college students think that it's simple. Like, the answer to it is simple. They have all the answers. They know how to solve religious intolerance. I don't know how to solve religious intolerance. Like, because it's so complicated, and it's never going to go away. And that's my goal, is to get you to the point where you realize it's not simple. These things have been going on for so long, and they're deep. They're rooted really deeply. I'm sorry, Ted, not all religion is the same. <laughs> oh, <no>. um, <laughs> I stand by that. They, they are not all paths up the same mountain. They, you know, they, they exist for a reason. Mm. And it's those reasons that are important. That's why those religions exist is because of what makes them different, not what makes them the same. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. And, okay, so moving forward. Yeah. First of all, I appreciate that. Um, because I, you truly did change my perspective on religious studies, but just religion as a whole. Because it, you uh, encouraged me to stop being negative toward my family members. Like I will, I'll have open conversations with them about faith all the time. Yeah, and I, it frankly makes me feel really good 
that they have. I know that you are a person of faith as well. Um, and which is amazing, especially seeing as you teach religious intolerance and you're still a person of faith at the same time, which I know I'm sure compounds that and helps you with that. But at the same time, I know that it can be a weird line to walk when there's so many people are under the impression that it's like, oh, you go to college and you get brainwashed. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, you're not going to be religious anymore. It's like, well, my teacher was a person of faith and it helped me have conversations with my family members that even though we might disagree on certain things, I think it takes an incredible amount of faith there's no other word for it frankly it's faith you know putting putting your faith into something that you can't necessarily define as true like objectively true right now yeah but you know that you're putting your heart in it yeah and it gives you that hope so i really appreciate it um and i hope i didn't sound like i was invalidating your faith in any way just now um but i i do want to say that the last passion that you have yes because i want to end this conversation on a really positive note okay is being an ant. Yes. Why are you passionate about being an ant? Oh, because it's so much fun. Oh, my gosh. Like, it is just so amazing. Um, and it's just funny because, so I have two nieces and five nephews. And my nieces are both my brother's oldest child and my sister's oldest child. So they are also bossy big sisters, which is something that I understand and relate to very well, right? All these little henpecked brothers that are going on here. But it is just so amazing to be involved in someone's life and and not be the mom, not mm-hmm. be the responsible one. Like, like you are responsible, but you're also like, you're not overly invested. You get to <laughs> let them be that, you know? I think that even what you're talking about of how you're able to talk to your family now about, you know, faith is kind of that same thing. Like, I can talk to you about religion because, like, I'm just treating you, like, as a human being, not, like, as my family member who I think might be errant and going the wrong way. That's really what an aunt is doing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So it is. It's just so much fun. And you get to have just these amazing, amazing moments with these kids. And they, they love you. And you, you always get to be fun because – you're allowed to think kettle corn is dinner and, you know, not these responsible things that are going on. And so, yeah, I just, it is. But I'm also a really super crazy, crazy aunt. Like, right? <laughs> I won the um, candy cane contest at, at Christmas. So my mom got a very large bowl of candy canes and you had to put a candy cane in your mouth and scoop out as many other candy canes as you could. And I, I won this. So I'm kind of also a legend. I'm the crazy <laughs> dancing aunt as well. Um, I actually drove, uh, like, what, a week and a half ago up to Ohio. Every year we go up to my sister's house where their town does the big 3rd of July celebration that we go up for every year. And they always have a concert. I know they do it on the 3rd. But that also makes it really fun because more people go. Okay, know? that's true. Yeah. So we do a big concert, and um, this year the gin blossoms were there and lit, so we're like, oh, the definition of family-friendly has really changed since I was a child, right? Um, So we're there, and my niece loves to just get up and dance with me when it gets dark, and it's, like, so much fun. We're just screaming, hey, jealousy, at the top of our lungs, right? (laughs) Which, I, yeah, I don't know. So my, my niece's birthday is actually today. So she's 11 now, but, you know, Aww. we're jumping around, screaming, you know, that 
tomorrow we'll let the cops chase us around. That's everyone's favorite part of the line. But I, <laughs> right? Like, that, that, that's what people like about Hey Jealousy. But I think that the next part of that line will circle back to resiliency, right? Because it's the past is gone, but something might be found to take its place. Hmm. Right. And if you look at that, like life, there's still something out there. Go, go get it. So, you know, but we drove up there. We actually, Ohio really leaned into the Taylor Swift thing. We had Swift and Addy tailgating up there. They declared it (laughs) Taylor Swift Day. So we were down on the streets of Cincinnati that all got closed down, you know, screaming out all of these Taylor Swift songs for, you know, with like 30 and 40,000 other people. It was absolutely insane. But my niece (laughs) just looks at me and she just gives me this hug. She's like, Oh my God, I'm going to remember this for the, like the rest of my life. Dancing with you is my favorite. Aww. And you're, you're like, oh, that's what you want. That oh, is what yeah. you want, you know? And again, like, you know, we started talking about my aunt and how she was the most important part of my life. And that's what I want these kids. Like, I have learned to let go so much of like not being pretentious and not being self important and not worrying about what people think anymore, right? I mean, I'm a 45 year old woman walking around with friendship bracelets on right now because <laughs> they're the most beautiful thing in the world, right? <laughs> because they were made for me by people who love me. Yeah. And that's what I see yeah. now, right? Yeah. Like, their value and worth is not measurable in their materials. Mm. That's awesome. This was such a good conversation, Lisa. I'm being so, this was amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on on your niece's birthday. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a terrible aunt. I know, no, no, because she lives in Ohio anyway. So we party, we party. Oh my gosh. The 3rd of July is our holiday. Yay. (laughs) Um, But no, it's, it really, has meant a lot to me that you took the time to not only come on today, but having the conversation that we did in the student union and everything. You're a very hopeful person. Oh. And it drives me up. I don't know that up, that's true. <laughs> but it drives me up the wall and you're like, oh, I'm a terrible person. Oh, like, but I am a terrible person. But I gonna, don't even have hope I'm going to disagree with you. I don't care <laughs> because what everything that you've said so far today has given me hope for it. This happens every time. You've talked about a lot of what I'm about to ask, but how have the passions you brought to us today changed the world around you, just in a broad sense? Mm. The, you've made a difference in people's lives, right? So one of the things that does drive me crazy about your generation or the era that we live in, whatever, is that we're going to fix the world. We're going to solve the world, right? We want to solve We world. are. No, no, you're, you're not. I'm just saying, we're going to uh, do it. I grew up in the 90s, and I know that the world was a lot better back then, right? But this is the problem, is that we only want to do it if we get the big things, the big credits, right? But it actually makes a difference that I get on a plane and fly to Ohio to take two kids trick-or-treating. Like, that is, that's what makes the world a better place, right? Is that they're going to look back one day and look at their pictures and be like, oh, yeah, the year I was a ghost and the year I was Hermione was the year that Aunt Lisa flew up and we went trick-or-treating. Mm. That's what makes yeah. the world a better place. Mm. Yeah. You and know? you have a student here who said you changed his view of the world, too. So that's another way you're, you're, you're Boom. impacting people. And I'm not just saying that. I'm being so real with that. I mean, truthfully. And I think I've exemplified it. Are you kidding me? I need to get off my soapbox. (laughs) But for those of you listening, that was Lisa McKay Ring. And hopefully you found some hope today. 
Thanks for listening to The Only Constant. We show how people use their passions to change the world around them every day. To learn more about our mission, visit OnlyConstantPodcast.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at OnlyConstantPodcast to see even more and stay updated with the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Spotify, leaving a review or rating for the podcast helps us learn what's working and what's not. We value your feedback. Hopefully, you found some hope today.